Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Big Pop Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, a new set of windows, a new door, it can do a lot of things for you. You can change the look, the feeling, the vibe of your home. Plus, it can add value to your home and make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. So if you are ready for that spring project with some new windows or some new doors, now is the time. Check them out online, Pella Omaha. Dot com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. We got the new menu item alert that has been around for oh, about a couple weeks now, and you need to take advantage of it. It is the Reuben Runza Sandwich. It is officially back. It's everything you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza Sandwich. Talking Reuben sauce, corned beef, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, all inside the deliciousness of a Runza Sandwich. So get out to Runza and get yours Runza makes it all better. All right, on the line now, it's Jay Billis of ESPN, and we got some college hoops to talk about. We're recording this. It's a it's a it's a Tuesday morning. Jay has a has a flight to New Orleans this this evening. Jay, are you are you ready for New Orleans? Is New Orleans high on the list of best Final Four cities? Are you ready for for New Orleans? Yes. I mean, I think it's really high on the list of Final Four cities because, one, the restaurants are great uh, and everything's walking distance. So I, I had a friend one time say the, the best thing about the Final Four is you see everybody you know. And then he said, and the worst thing about the Final Four is you see everybody you know. Uh, so it, it's a, you know, it's like a convention and there are conventions there, but it's a convention of the game and and uh, I think a, a celebratory event, especially for the four teams that are there, but having everything within walking distance, whether it's Indianapolis, which has always been great. Yeah. I don't know what it'll be like after the pandemic. I, I heard the city took a little bit of a hit, but uh, San Antonio is great. Uh, and, but New Orleans is, is right there in the top three. Well, and it justifies overeating because you eat. You're gonna. Hey, I'm gonna walk like a mile back to the to the hotel, or I'm gonna. You know what I mean? You can ju- you can you can have you can splurge a little bit, which is nice. You know. You, you can not only splurge, but there are places that you stop into to maybe have a drink. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you'll you'll wind up seeing somebody you know sitting at a bar somewhere, and you'll just go in. I mean, that's that's. Uh... Uh, that's one of the great things about New Orleans. So, Jay, I want to kind of uh, look in the rear view a little bit with the tournament before we, we look ahead to this weekend. And I want to start with St. Peter's because, Jay, I, I, uh, I called St. Peter's MAC championship game on Westwood One. So I saw them live, and then obviously in preparation for that, for that game, I probably watched five of their games on film. And, Jay, I wish I could have been that analyst that was like, let me tell you something. I saw St. Peter's. You better watch out for this team. I didn't see this coming. Uh, I just wasn't sure. Their defensive numbers were always off the charts. But, you know, Casey Nadefo, six foot seven. I wasn't sure their, their rim protection would translate against higher competition. But it did. We just saw history where we saw a 15 seed get to the Elite Eight. I guess what stood out to you with this St. Peter's run to, to almost get into the Final Four? 
Well, it, 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 it was another thing to celebrate because it was really fun. But, um, you know, you don't want to overreact to this stuff because the narrative in college basketball, and I don't know how this happened, but the narrative is anybody can win. And while it's true that anybody can win a game or anybody can have their bracket open up and all that stuff and, and go on a little run, um, not anybody can win the whole thing. And so, you know, I've studied this as you have. And what usually happens is you have a really volatile first weekend where teams uh, underperform. They slip on a banana peel here or there. Somebody plays great. They play over what you would consider their level. And remember, I mean, you know this, but St. Peter's was 12 and 11 at one point during the season. I watched them play several times during the year, but the truth is I watched them play because I was watching their opponent. Right. And, and I did not, I did not think one, they would beat Kentucky. I did not think they were capable of this. And, and I didn't think they would beat Carolina. And the truth is against Carolina, they looked like a Mac team playing an ACC team. Yep. And, and it sort of caught up with them. But that doesn't take away from the historic accomplishment they had. But usually, going back to, to studying this stuff, usually when we get to the, the Sweet 16, there, there are between 12 and 14 major conference teams and then a couple of Cinderella's. So this year, while everybody was saying anybody can win and there's tremendous parity in the game, which I just don't agree with, there is not parity. Parity means equality. We don't have that. Uh, we had um, 13 major conference teams, Gonzaga and Houston, both of whom were in the final four last year. And I think you would have to say Gonzaga is not a Cinderella. It's a power, yep. uh, even though it's from a smaller conference. And you had St. Peter, Peter's. So usually we'll have a few double-digit seeds that make it through. It used to be the double-digit seeds were the little guy. That's not true anymore. Now our double-digit seeds were, were Michigan uh, Iowa State and Miami, all of whom were ranked during the year, and Michigan and Iowa State were ranked in the top 10 during the year. So it's hard to say, you know, Michigan, that little engine that could, you know, made it all the way to the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed. And, and you know, like last year, uh, the double-digit seed was UCLA, another little engine that could. Like, that's <laughs> not parity. Right. You know, that that's that's something different. We're seeing, you know, power wins in this thing. But but even getting to the Sweet 16 or, or the Elite Eight is not the same as being a legit contender to win it. Right. And and oddly enough, we have, you know, Villanova, Kansas, Duke and North Carolina as North Carolina is like the outlier as a, uh, you know, a power conference team that's that's been to the championship game uh, twice in the last five years. Um, so we're not, we're, we're really talking about a finite number of teams that can really win this thing. And, and historically that's been the case. Give me the team you're most surprised isn't in the final four. Oh, North Carolina. Um, I, most surprised at North Carolina because, you know, like people seem to forget this when, when, uh, last year, North Carolina was not very good. You know, and Roy Williams last year, they made the tournament, but but Wisconsin bounced them out. I think they beat them by 30. It was at least 20, and it was never a game. Like, they were not that good of a team. And when Hubert Davis took over, um, you know, he was getting criticized early in the year for making changes in their offense and all that stuff. And they've gotten, you know, they've gotten consistently better throughout the course of the season. But early on in the season, they were giving up 
in their losses, they lost, they, they lost eight games and their losses. They were giving up like 90 points. They'd lost by 20 multiple times to wake Forest, to Miami, uh, Purdue beat them. I think Villanova beat them. Tennessee crushed them, uh, early in the year. So they, they didn't give the air of a, of a team that was capable of this, but, uh, but they've got pieces and they shoot the three very well from three positions. And they've got the most consistent big guy in the country. Like Oscar Sheepway was the best big guy, but Armando Bacot was the most consistent. Like the guys had 29 double doubles this year. That ties Tim Duncan. You have to go back to 95 Man. for a player to have done that. And, uh, and he's led North Carolina in scoring, rebounding, field goal percentage, and block shots for two years in a row. No Carolina player has ever done that before. And, uh, and they've had some damn good players there. So, but, but North Carolina surprised me. They're, they're still, they don't have a lot of depth, nor does, especially now, Villanova with Justin Moore going out. So they, they don't have a lot of margin for error in, in a high possession game where there's some fouls hung on guys. They're going to have to, they're going to have to navigate that. But, but, um, and they're not horrible, you know, they're not the most efficient offensive team, but, but because they shoot the three so well, especially Brady Manick and Caleb Love and RJ Davis, um, they're, they're formidable so that they can certainly beat Duke, but, uh, but Duke has played better than anybody in the tournament. They didn't look this way the last two weeks of the season. They've just looked this way in the tournament. Do you, looking at Duke, I, I was always interested and in maybe, maybe I read too much into the, the final home game against Carolina that, that the pressure of coach K's last season and sending him out on top would, would maybe be a detriment to this group. But I think in some ways, and maybe this is hindsight 2020 Monday morning quarterback, it feels like that's manifested itself into a, into a positive thing with focus and motivation now. I guess, how are you seeing the dynamic of Coach K's last year impacting any, if anything at all on the floor with this group? Well, it's definitely impacted it. I don't know that it's impacted it schematically, though. Like, they had issues guarding ball screens throughout the course of, of the year, and uh, and but that's improved greatly just in the tournament. So, you know, I agree with you that that last game in Cameron, there was a lot of weight on those players and there was a lot of weight on everybody. That, but that was a one off uh, in the ACC tournament. They did not perform at a high level or they, at their highest level. Let's put it that way. Uh, they, they played at a high level because they're unbelievably talented and really good. But, uh, you know, they they kind of struggled to beat uh, a, a shorthanded Syracuse. Uh, they did beat Miami in a close game. And then, and then they got, they got manhandled by uh, Virginia tech in the final. I mean, they got beat by 15 and it, it, it really for a while wasn't that close. So I don't think, I mean, I certainly didn't have a ton of confidence in them when I saw the bracket that they were going to get by Texas tech, mm -hmm. but they had uh Against Texas Tech, they shot 71% in the second half, and it's not like they got nothing but easy shots. And I think they scored on their last eight possessions of the game and, and wound up winning the game because of it. Um, they, they've played – they're the most talented team. Uh, they've got the most pros. Um, they're unbelievably talented. But uh, they, they weren't playing like this going into the tournament. Uh, and, and we've seen this before where teams go home after getting beat in their conference tournament. They have a few days in the lab, and they come back, and they're better. Uh, now, whether they can keep that going for a third consecutive weekend, we'll see. Uh, but there's a lot going to be hanging on this game against yeah. Carolina. You know, talk about baggage. Goodness. I mean, there's a ton of baggage in this game for everybody, for both sides. And it's just going to be a question about how they handle it. And, uh, you know, do you with a younger team and all that stuff? I mean, 
you know, the narrative has always been now, yeah, one and done, you can't win the one and done players, which just isn't true. You know, the teams that have had one and done players, uh, Kentucky and Duke have won more tournament games than anybody since 2010. Uh, so the question isn't, can you win the whole thing, which you can, because both Duke and Kentucky did it in 2012 and 2015. But the, the issue is, do you win more games with them or without them? And the answer is you win more games with them. It's just not everybody can do it. Right. And of course, experience, you, you would rather have experience. Like who wants to go under the knife without an experienced surgeon? Who wants to get on a plane without an experienced pilot? Of course, you'd rather have experience. But it, it doesn't mean that these teams can't can't do it because Duke has done it and Kentucky has done it. And Kentucky had an unbelievably experienced team this year and got beat by a 15. Right. So how, how do you how do you square some of these things? And how do you square the amount of experienced teams this year that lose? Right. Um, it, it's it, there are there are 300 some experienced teams and only a few young ones. And uh, and you got one of the one out of four is ridiculously young. Uh, so how do you square that? It, it, it's sort of an interesting, interesting issue. When you size up, you did both both games this this year, Duke and North Carolina. What, when you look at it for a third time, is it there's a part of me that's jumped out looking at this and going, OK, you have two teams know each other like the back of their hands. The familiarity level oftentimes lends itself to. Who can make, I heard Bill Self say this, who can make more marginal shots? Like, who can win a one-on-one and make more tough shots? And I just think Duke has more guys that can go get their own than Carolina does. But maybe all you need is one, like Caleb Love showed you in, in the Sweet 16, that can go get it. I guess, how do you, knowing what you saw in the first two matchups and then projecting this weekend, how do you size up that matchup, Duke and Carolina? Yeah, I don't even look at the first game, Nick, because uh, Armando Baycott picked up two fouls in the first five, six minutes or something, and they had some matchup issues. He got a foul going over the back, and then he was guarding Paolo Banquero, which didn't make any sense no. to me, and picked up a foul on a drive, and all of a sudden he's out, and Carolina got blasted. Uh, they got so far behind because he was out. that and when he was on the floor, they played him dead even. And in the second game, uh, Carolina presents some problems that Duke couldn't solve with some of that middle third ball screen action where the, it's sort of a roll pop situation. And it, it you know, you got to guard the ball, then you got to guard the roll, then you got to guard the pop. And Manic is, is playing great. Like his last eight games, I don't know what he's averaging, but I know it's over 20. And he's shooting a ridiculous percentage from three. So he can really stretch you out. The problem that Carolina has on the defensive end is they've got some matchups that they can't really figure out uh, because of personnel. So who does Brady Manick guard? You know, if he guards Bancaro or they put Leaky Black on Bancaro, then Manick's got to guard, what, A.J. Griffin? Right. Uh, those are difficult matchups for him. Uh, so they're going to have to be efficient on the offensive end. But, but you know, Duke, one thing that Carolina has to do is they've got to pull Mark Williams away from the lane. Yep. And with with all their spread ball screen action, they can do that. It's just a question of of how does Duke guard that stuff? Are they better guarding it? Does he stay connected? Uh, and do they, uh, you know, do they do a better job of picking up that role man? If they're going to switch things, do do they communicate better? And they have been doing that in the tournament, but but Carolina took advantage of them in the second half of that that game in Durham. And uh, and I think they're like, I just don't think they're the same team, Carolina, that they were in February. They're, they're way better. And I think Duke is way better. So th- those games can be instructive as far as what teams run, what was effective. You know, Carolina is going to continue to run the same stuff. 
as is Duke. Um, but, but Duke at times got, you know, looked like an isolation team mm -hmm. and they became a little bit easier to guard. They have not been that in the tournament and, uh, they've been much better moving the ball and, uh, much better, uh, at, you know, sometimes they would get it to Bancaro and stand around and let him go one-on-one. -on -one, and that was not effective. Um, but they haven't done that in the tournament. They've, they've been much better. And Jeremy Roach at the point has been a big reason why. The Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza new menu item alert. It's back. The Reuben Runza is officially back at Runza. It is everything you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza sandwich. Talking corned beef, Reuben sauce, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, all inside the deliciousness of a Runza sandwich. So you need to drop everything you're doing and head out to Runza and get your Reuben Runza game right. My dad, Rich Baugh, he approves. Big Reuben Runza fan. So get like my dad and get a Reuben Runza today. You can even order it in the app. Go to the App Store, download the Runza app. You can order a Reuben Runza. You can order rewards, by the way, and have a delicious Reuben Runza waiting for you at the restaurant where you skip the line and get right to getting your grub on. Again, new menu item alert. The Reuben Runza is back. Runza makes it all better. Let's go to the other game real quick with Villanova specifically. I could argue, Jay, that of the four teams left, Villanova is the most unique team to try to play. You know, they, they run four and five guard lineups. Everyone will post up. Colin Gillespie, their point guard, is probably arguably their best post player. They switch a ton on defense. Uh, but the Justin Moore loss is huge. I mean, you talk about a guy that Gillespie is probably their – he's their MVP in heart and soul, but I think Justin Moore is probably their most all-around talented player. When you look at Nova, both heading in and now without Moore, what do you see with Jay Wright's crew? Well, you, lo you lose a player like Justin Moore, and it takes away arguably your best defender. Moore and, and Jermaine Samuels, I think, were their best defenders. And you take away a legit scorer that can get you 20-plus in a game. But you know he's going to be um, – he's going to be valuable on both ends of the floor. And so now you have to plug your best bench player, Caleb Daniels into that spot. And really they're now a five man team. They yeah. can, they can get spot duty out of Chris Archidiacono or Jordan Longino, something like that, but it's not going to be more than spot duty. They're going to have to go five guys and be an iron five. And that's going to be difficult. What what's in their favor in doing that is, as you know, they play a very low possession style. Um, outside of Virginia, no major conference team plays slower than, than Villanova. It, it sometimes doesn't appear that way because they move the ball so well and there's so many passes per possession. But the truth is they eat that clock, man. They, they've got an average of about 20 seconds on a 30-second on a shot clock. That's a lot. And uh, so it's going to be – they're going to try to slow the game down, make it into a half-court grinding affair where lower possessions, there are, there are fewer chances for them to foul and get in foul trouble. Uh, I think they'll be able to take Kansas out of transition. Kansas is a great transition team. But one thing Kansas has to do is they have to run their offense with speed. Uh, they do a lot of weave stuff, um, you know, play four out, sometimes five out. Uh, I think they'll go small at times with Jalen Wilson at the five and take David McCormick out. Um, but but they're, they're going to have to pound the ball inside and get angles for McCormick and, uh, and, and get downhill where they can force help. Uh, but but Villanova is so physical, like they they chest up on every drive uh, and and they're really physical. Um, so I, they can definitely win. Villanova can definitely win. But I think Kansas is better. And and truthfully, 
I think one of the dynamics of this Final Four is the overwhelming majority of attention and spotlight is going to go on the Duke Carolina game. And how many times have we seen this where we say, hey, this is the de facto title game here. And and then you, you add in the Duke Carolina thing, Coach K's last game, Hubert Davis's first Final Four, all that goes into that. And Kansas uh, Villanova is going to be kind of a JV game in that regard. And if I were them, I'd go, go ahead, spotlight it all you want. You, you guys have your little Hatfield-McCoy match and go to three overtimes if you want. We'll see you on Monday night. Right. And just sort of sneak into the championship game. And I think that'll put them in a, in a pretty good position to be able to take a swing at whoever wins. You know, I, I, think, uh, I think Mike Krzyzewski is the greatest college basketball coach of all time. But I think the two best coaches in college basketball right now are Jay Wright and Bill Self. So I, I think those th- those two guys, what those guys have built, model of consistency, especially with the titles that Jay Wright has had the last handful of years. Do you agree? How do you see kind of uh, – I know ranking coaches can be a fool's errand sometimes where we, we're, we're prisoners of the moment. I mean, a couple of years ago you would have said it was Tony Bennett. Now Tony Bennett people f- forget a little bit about just because he hasn't – you know. I mean, I see runs. Jay Wright as the heir apparent to Coach K. He, okay. he's, the, he's the guy. And uh, not only his demeanor and the way he handles himself, I mean, he's the most likable coach in, in the game. But um, Villanova's got the best culture in basketball. Um, from, from their video coordinator up, there's not a tighter, tighter group, players, coaches, staff uh, in the country. Um, you know, we've both been fortunate to see it up close, and, and I've, I've spent a lot of time studying that program. And, and there's just no culture that rivals it, frankly. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they win. Uh, but their style, uh, they are as disciplined as you can get. Yep. The fact they play off two feet, they uh, they use those back downs at just about every position to back you down in the post and then pivot. They pivot around, shot fake. Everything, every catch is they catch the ball to shoot it, and you have to take the shot away. And then they, they get you on a shot fake or a pivot, uh, and their cutting is really good. Their spacing is excellent. And, you know, it's the old Chuck Daly line that spacing is offense. Um, and then they're, they're unbelievably tough defensively. So they, they dictate their style and, and they're going to win with it. Now, you know, the, the wild card in this is the, is the Justin Moore injury. Um, you know, Houston did an amazing job of getting to the Elite Eight without Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark. But they lost those guys, if I remember right, in December. Yep. And uh, and so they had time to work that out. Uh, Villanova's got a week and that's not very much time. So, you know, do I think Jay Wright can do? Absolutely. And if he pulls this off and wins this one, um, that'll give him three in the last, what, six years or or, or, yeah, six years, because 2016, 2018, and and it would be 2022. And that puts him in the kind of UCLA category like nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done that and uh, since UCLA. So uh, that, that's, that's remarkable what he's doing and what they're going to continue to do. Like they may, take, they may take a little bit of a dip after this because they took Colin Gillespie back for a sixth year uh, and uh, or fifth year, whatever it was, and then uh, Jermaine Samuels. They got that COVID year and came back. So when you do that with that kind of program, they're not a transfer program. They're not going to bring in a bunch of transfers and get them to play their way in a year. That, that's not they, they don't do that. So will they take a hit next year and not be as good? Probably. 
but uh, but it was worth it for for what they've had this year, in my view, and and what that means for their you know their culture and their program to have those guys back for another year. It's pretty amazing to go from Archie Diacono, Brunson, and Gillespie. That's a pretty amazing three three straight point guard uh, lineup for for Nova over the last six years. Do you think uh, so? Who do you think if I know it's I don't necessarily want to ask you for a pick, but do you do you lean Duke? I mean, I just feel like they look like like you said. I think they look like the most talented team right now that that seems to be peaking. How do you, how do you kind of who would you favor on on Monday night right now? I would favor Duke. Um, they're the most talented team, and they're playing the best. Like if if uh, we had all been blindfolded during the regular season and we could only watch the tournament, and that was the those are the only data points you'd have. You, you'd come away saying Duke's Duke's the best team. They're playing. Look at what they're doing. They're playing the best. Look at their numbers. Look at who they've beaten and all that stuff and how they've done it. Uh, Kansas, this is not Bill Self's most talented team, but they're good. Mm -hmm. And, and they've got multi-positional guys like Christian Brown and, and Jalen Wilson. They don't shoot it great with the exception of Ochai Abaji. They don't shoot it great. Uh, but having Remy Martin back in the fold gives them another guy that can go out and give you 20 plus. So they bring him in off the bench. They get much better offensively because of his shot-making ability. They take a little bit of a hit defensively because he's not a great defender. He's not ex as good of a defender as Dewan Harris, but Dewan Harris is not a scorer. So you're trading offense for defense with him. Uh, not that he can't guard at all. I'm not saying that, but he's not as proficient right. as, as Harris is. Uh, but they're, they're legit. They're very, very good, and they've proven it over the course of the year. Uh, so I, I tend to think it'll it'll probably be Duke and Kansas in the title game, and oddly enough, like for storylines, that was Coach K's first you know championship was in 1991 playing Kansas, and North Carolina was in that bracket. They lost to Kansas in '91 on one side of it, and Duke beat UNLV uh, on the other side of it. So it's a uh, I don't know. There's kind of a poetic nature of this this whole thing. Four blue bloods, Duke, Carolina, Coach K's last one. Uh, Jay Wright going for uh, for his third in, in six years, and then Bill Self uh, striving to be uh, a guy that's had multiple championships because there aren't that many coaches, frankly, that have won multiple championships in the history of the game. There aren't that many that have won one, but uh, but winning two puts him in a, in a different category. So there's a lot lot going on at this Final Four. Last thing you're out of here, Jay, uh, with Coach K. I just I, I got to pick your brain for a second on him. You you. You committed to, to Coach K before he was kind of Coach K and, you know, the the, the megastar that, that he is. I, I'm just – what did you see in him back when you committed to him at a high school? And then as you've watched him evolve, what's maybe kind of been his defining quality that's made him not just one of the best college basketball coaches ever, he's one of the greatest coaches ever in any sport. Yeah, I can't say that I saw this coming when I was in high school. Um, I had a little bit of a an odd, you know, recruiting situation. You know, I was a top 50 player uh, coming out of Los Angeles, and I, I played on a great high school team with all my friends that had grown up together, and we all got along great. We've been great friends from the time we are in fourth grade to now, but we did not have a good experience with our high school coach, and it was a nightmare. And uh, – and so when I was being recruited, all I cared about was I was going to play for the coach I wanted to play for, that I was not going to go through that again. And and so I honestly, Nick, I didn't care about what school I went to. I, I cared about the coach I played for. And I came down to four guys. I came down to Jim Beheim at Syracuse, uh, Lute Olson at Iowa, 
uh, Ted Owens at Kansas and Coach K. And Coach K was the least experienced, the least successful, and the least well-known. And uh, I had never heard of him when he called me for the first time. Never heard his name. And uh, and I, I just liked him the best. There was something about him that I trusted, and I was like, he's the one. He's the guy I want to play for. It, it wasn't that I didn't want to play for the other guys. Right. It was just, you know, the, the, I felt the best about him and never regretted it. But I think to your question about what sets him apart, there's so many things. Like, there are, there are all kinds of coaches that, you know, you, you could line him and Jay Wright and Bill Self up, and they share a ton of similarities, more similarities than differences. The one thing that's amazed me about Coach K beyond anything else has been he has never lost his enthusiasm for the day-to-day grind of coaching. That, And I have seen this, you have too. Older coaches lose their enthusiasm for, for the day-to-day stuff. And he's never lost that. He does the same things now, and maybe he shouldn't, but he does the same things now that he did when he was 30 years old or 35 years old when I played for him. And takes the same amount of time, thinks about it as deeply. He's just more experienced now and, and certainly better. he's better now than when I played for him, uh, which is as it should be, I guess. But uh, uh, it, it's been remarkable. And to see him do this at this level for 42 years, it's hard to fathom, really. But it's been, you know, like whenever the, his last buzzer goes off, uh, I think, you know, people are thinking there's going to be sadness and um, and there won't be, at least not for me. It'll be just an overwhelming feeling of gratitude for uh, what he's done for for me and for us um, all these years. Like the one thing I have on the current players. So the guys that are playing for him now are playing for a better coach than I played for. And they're having you could argue having a better experience in some ways. But um, but I've got something and my teammates have something they'll never have. We we've had him as our our guy for 40 plus years. Right. And uh, and they're not going to have that. Um, so I, I don't think I'd trade my experience for anybody's, um, even though it was early in the tenure and, and we were his first everything. Like my first NCAA tournament game, Nick, was his first. So we wow. had exactly yeah. the same amount of tournament experience when we played in our first tournament game. First Final Four, my first Final Four was his first. My first ACC championship, first number one ranking. That was all his first. And uh, so there, there's something, you know, special about that for, for guys like us uh, that, that got to see the whole the whole ride. That's a great way to end it right there. Jay Billis, ESPN. Jay, you know, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Safe travels to New Orleans, and we'll catch up soon. Always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you. See you, Jay. A Huda Media Production.